0: Thank you, thank you, worship team. Uh, good morning. It is good to see all of you here. Uh, for those of you who are either new or visiting with us or joining us online, my name is Pastor Cal. Actually, my name is Cal. I'm the pastor here. Uh, at Hope Bible Fellowship, we want to welcome you. Uh, pastor Cal is not actually my name. I just wanted to point that out. My, my, my first name is not Pastor. Uh, anyway, although I'm sure there are some children who think my first name is Pastor. Uh, anyway... Uh, It is good to be with you this morning. I'm glad to have you with us. What a week it has been. I don't know about you, uh, but it's been kind of an exhausting week for me. Our our kids started school this week. And for those of you who don't know, I I didn't share this with the church yet. The deacons and I had already talked about it, but I made the decision to not go back to teaching uh, at the school this year um, because I felt like the church and the ministry here and the shepherding of the flock needed more of my attention. And so I made the decision to not do that. Um, but I did agree that if my schedule would permit, I told Aaron Fassler, the principal out at Faith, I said, if my schedule will permit, I'll be willing to possibly maybe sub sub. I subbed Friday, first week of school. I got asked to sub before school even started. So anyway, uh, it's, been a, it's been a big week. It's been a, it's been a busy week. There's been a lot going on in our world, uh, as you might know. In just a minute, I want to take a moment and just have a special prayer for the people of Afghanistan and for our troops that are over there trying to help get people out, as well as the Americans who are still there. Um, I mean, we watch this stuff on the news. We see it all. Um, but here's the thing. God also sees it all. And sometimes we can feel hopeless about it and everything, but, but God sees it all. And God cares for those people who are even the people falling from planes. And so um, I just want to take a moment to pray, pray for Afghanistan. But before I do that, I want to challenge you for something. I realize that, like, tomorrow it's going to be super hot, supposedly. So you're probably not thinking about blankets and fall and the leaves falling and things like that. But as we move into fall, what happens? Well, we're in our living rooms and the throw blankets come out and everything. And I don't know about you, but um, in my wife's family lots of people, including my wife, uh, crochet, and they make Afghans, right? Those blankets with the holes in them, right? And, um, and, and so one of the biggest blankets that, that we have for me to use is, is an Afghan that Bethany secretly made for me while she was pregnant one time. That's a whole story. But anyway, I want to challenge you every time you see an Afghan this fall to pray for Afghanistan, the Afghan people. Okay, just kind of a little, this is a really practical thing, right? You, get, you go to sit down and watch a movie and snuggle up on a Sunday night, get your bag of popcorn and you grab the Afghan or even if it's just a throw blanket, it's not actually an Afghan and just take a moment right then and there and say a quick prayer for the Afghan people and for the growth of the gospel among them. Um, really, really, uh, I think, I think just again, a real practical thing you can do. But let's take a moment uh, before we begin the message and just have a word of prayer. God, we come before you and Father, we acknowledge that God, though we see what's going on overseas and we have anger, uh, we have sadness, uh, there's a certain helpless feeling that comes upon us. But God, you see it all. And God, you have a plan. And I pray you'd help us trust you. But God, I pray that the gospel would grow among the Afghan people. I pray that those who are seeking to do evil, who are seeking to harm uh, your creation, uh, people made in your image, I pray that those people's plans would fall, that you would obstruct their plans, and that, God, you would rescue the the poor, that you would rescue the needy, the endangered, the helpless among the Afghan people. Not just that they would come to physical safety, yes, that God, but also that, that they would come to you, Jesus, that they would come to know the true meaning of freedom that is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ, our perfect Savior, the one who stood in our place condemned for sin we were guilty of, and he was not and died in our place for that sin, Jesus. I pray they would come to know you. I pray that somehow in this whole mess that's going on, that you would be glorified and lifted up. And Jesus, your name be made more famous and more big among the Afghan people. We pray for those who are serving in our armed forces who are over there watching uh, some of the, being past children and, and watching uh, the, the just horrible degradation of, of the people. I pray that you would strengthen them, that you would help them to, uh, God, to trust you and to um, do what they are ordered to do uh, in making sure that people are rescued and able to be on planes and and flown over uh, to wherever they need to go. And, God, in in all things, we just acknowledge that we don't have all the answers. It's easy for us to watch the news and think we know what to do, um, but, God, you do. And I pray that you would be glorified, that your will be done, and help us to trust you no matter what that is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, yeah. Yes, yes, I, I knew that. I wasn't sure for security reasons if I was supposed to announce that on the live stream. That's why I didn't say anything. So um, uh, someone asked about, a, uh, about Tyler, and he's safe. That's, I'll just say he's safe. And if you want to know more, I can tell you more afterwards. I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say on the thing, and I don't want to give anything away, but he's safe, so and has been for several weeks now. so. Yeah. All right. Um, so as we come to thank you for that, Candace. Um as we come to the final week of this series called "Replant," uh, we've been walking through our vision for making disciples and growing as a healthy church here in Dixon. It's been really exciting. Uh, it's been a fun series to walk through. Uh, we've walked through this this process of disciple-making where we, we want to move people through gathering together to worship and for equipping, to grow deeper together, and to go wide on mission together. And I have i don't know about you, but personally, even in the preparation of these messages, I've been challenged. Um, sometimes I'm set, I'll sit there in the office, and I'm trying to put the message together. I'm just struggling with, man, I want to make sure that I I say something that is, I want it to come from the Bible and be biblical, but I want to make sure it's contextual to where we're at, and I I don't want us to have just some trite, yeah, rah, rah, here we go, church, message. I want us to understand what our message is from Scripture, understand what our mission is from Scripture, and look at how we can accomplish the, the, the mission of making disciples who make disciples, and so I've been challenged by it as well. And I'm excited for the future of our church. I hope many of you are as well and will join us. And I hope that this morning's message is an encouragement to you. We're going to be camped out in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. If you want to just kind of open up and and flip over to that or scroll to that, it's where we're going to be hanging out. Now, next week, just kind of by way of of a heads up, next week we're going to begin um, a, a series through the book of Micah, an Old Testament prophet. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to, uh, jump into this, um, other than Jonah, I've never preached through another of the old Testament prophets. So I've preached through Jonah before, uh, that was not here, that was, or wait, yeah, that was not here. That was another church. And then, uh, I've <laughs> been preaching a while. They start, to, I start to forget where, what went where, that's why I have it on the computer. Um, and so I'm excited to go through Micah. So I hope you will join us for that. And that's what we'll be doing through a, a portion of the fall, um, Now, today's message, the main idea could be boiled down to this. If you wanted to take everything I'm going to say today and kind of boil it down, that doesn't mean you can take your nap when I'm done saying this sentence, okay? But uh, if you wanted to take the main idea and just boil it down to this, it would be this sentence. Because Jesus has loved us and saved us, we must be living on mission daily as we go out into our community making disciples. Now, that's kind of a long sentence, right? I've got kind of a penchant for that, but... To make it even simpler, we could say we should be living a missional life, and a missional life is a going life. You know, I can remember a few years ago, actually it's been several years by this point uh, because I'm getting older, and I can remember a day in ministry when uh, everyone was in ministry was sort of living out this field of dreams mentality when it came to church ministry. Uh, you know, Field of Dreams, the movie from the late 80s with Kevin Costner. They just played the Field of Dreams baseball game in Iowa, right? Okay, I'm from Iowa, so I'm a little, you know, anything from Iowa, I'm kind of into that. Um, except the Hawkeyes, yuck. Go Cyclones. All right. Uh, anyway, so that was, for, that was for Jordan and the Shepherds. Yeah, 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 there you go. Anyway, uh, don't don't be bringing that in here. All right, that's that's not what we're here to talk about. Sorry. It doesn't matter. Uh, Anyway, but... But there was this uh, this movie, and if you haven't seen the movie, I'm not going to go through the whole thing with you, but there's this sentence that was said uh, why he ended up building this uh, baseball field out in the middle of the cornfields, and it was this. He heard this voice that said, if you build it, they will come. And that was the mentality that people went with churches for so long. So churches would build bigger and nicer buildings, and they'd build gymnasiums, and they planned bigger and better and more sprawling programs to try and attract more people to the church. And for a while people came and it worked. But between that day, not so long ago, and 2021, things have changed in the culture of America and the culture specifically as it relates to Christianity. Now, in that previous time, much of our country at least identified with church. If you go back to the 50s the 60s, even the 70s, much of our country at least would identify with a church, or the church, or being a member of a church. Even if it was simply a cultural thing for them, they would just culturally identify with it. But over the years, there's been a steady shift in our culture, some would say a lurch, into secularism. Now, according to Gallup poll research from a few years ago, one-third of all Americans consider themselves non-religious they would report that religious is, religion is not an important part of their daily life, and they seldom or never attend religious services. Now, that's not just Christianity. That's religious services of any kind. Americans are largely unmotivated to go out of their way for much of anything, and that includes church. We're kind of addicted to convenience. I don't know if you've noticed that. And years ago, when I was a kid, it was, well, we've got, you know, people because of commercials and tv shows in 30 minutes and our attention spans are so short and i'm and now i mean and and then the microwave and you can have popcorn instantly and now with the internet and youtube and all these things i mean i learned how to i've been working on our washing machine because it's broken and i I mean i'm learning how to do that from a youtube video instantly i didn't have to call somebody i didn't have to read schematics i just pop on watch a couple of minute video and i'm i'm ready to ruin our washing machine right (laughs) The days of someone joining a church because they wanted uh, they wanted it to show up that they were a member of such and such church in their obituary, those days are over. The days of someone joining a church for special standing in the community or, hey, I'm an insurance salesman, I'm new to the community, I'm going to join this church and have connections. People don't even, even with those things, people don't even bother. I'm not saying those are reasons to join a church. I'm saying people to see where our culture has come, they don't even they don't even go to that. Our culture has grown more and more hostile to the church. Now, of course, there are various reasons for that, and we can discuss those at another time, but the bottom line is the church does not have the same cultural standing that it once had in America. I think that's not, like, a surprise to any of us, okay? It's like, okay, pastor, go ahead and state the obvious. A guy named Jimmy Scroggins and Steve Wright, these guys wrote this, If we're going to reach the millions who have yet to hear the gospel, we need to rethink our current invite strategy. Since we aren't going to get them to come and see what we're doing, we need to figure out ways to take the good news to the places they live, work, and play. We have to be going out and taking the Great Commission seriously. And that brings us to why we're going to take the Great Commission seriously and how we're going to live this missional life. And now keep that word missional in your mind because I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to talk about what that means in just a minute. But if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14 and following through verse 21. So verses 14 through 21 is going to be our kind of our focus for today. And it says this. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we come before you, our hearts are heavy. As we think about what we prayed about earlier with uh, the, the crisis in Afghanistan, God, we think of um, the Bardells and Carson. We just continue to pray that you continue to heal his body and his mind, God. That you would help his family to trust in you and to trust your will and your plan, but God. We pray you would you would heal uh, that young man, God. We uh, we just ask for um, God for Dixon that that the gospel would be big here. And God, today, as I bring your word, I pray that you would speak clearly through your word to your people. God, I pray that you would help me to communicate um, all of the implications and applications, the meaning of the word, but also what it means for us. Like, how are we going to apply that to Dixon, to our day in, day out lives, to our church? God, I pray that if there's anything, it's just to me and my opinions and uh, personality that gets in the way. I pray you just clear it out of the way and that you would speak clearly to your people. God, that our hearts would be changed, that we would be more uh, dedicated to you and your mission, that we would be surrendered to what you want for us as a church and as individuals in this community, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray, amen. So the question that you may be wondering is what is missional living? You keep saying that a lot, Pastor. Sometimes I'm afraid the word missional has gotten so overused in our culture, at least in the church subculture in the last 20 years, uh, I, sometimes with that word, and if you don't read a lot of the, uh, the ministry blogs and magazines and websites and books and things, you probably haven't heard it as much as I have. I understand that. Uh, I get that. I'm kind of submerged in that world, okay, um, or submerged but sometimes with that word missional, I feel a little bit like Indigo Montoya in The Princess Bride, you know? He says to Vecini, you keep using that word. I'm not sure it means what you think it means. Missional living is living every day of your life as if you were a missionary planted, sent right to the place where you live, because that's exactly what you are. It's what we all are. It's treating every day as if you were given a backpack and dumped out of a plane in a parachute into a remote land to learn the culture, build relationships, and share the gospel in a way that that culture can hear it. Just as a missionary to a foreign culture learns the language, the customs, the other cultural touch points of a people that they're sent to, we also must live this way right where God has planted each of us. A lot of churches consider themselves to be missional, or excuse me, to be missions-minded. Okay, missions and missional, different. Okay, different, very similar sounding word. But a lot of churches consider themselves to be missions-minded because they have a missions program. Or they might have a missions committee, or they might give to mission works around the globe. But a missional church is focused on, is invested in and oriented around God's mission to a specific people. Place and a specific time in history. A guy named Tim Keller, who for years pastored actually in New York City, uh, said this God does not merely send the church in mission, God is already in mission, and the church must join him. This also means then that the church does not simply have a missions department, it should wholly exist to be a mission another well-known preacher, uh, described the culture as being the soil in which the seed of, of of God's work in our lives, the gospel, is planted. We must understand the soil because it will help us know which weeds to pull out and not choke the growth of the gospel in the church. See, a lot of people might just go into a community and just start out without understanding the people and the community and what, and what the people care about, what's important to them and everything. And they might inadvertently in doing so choke out something that might actually help the gospel take root in the community. That's a missional life. That's living missionally is living basically to boil it down as a missionary to right where you are. So if you live on, uh, if you live on Chamberlain Street, then you're a missionary on Chamberlain Street. If you work at the bank, you're a missionary at the bank. If you work at the hospital, a missionary at the hospital. If you are a teacher, you're a missionary at the school. That wherever God has placed us, we live it as a missionary to that place, to those people. And God has placed us as a church in Dixon, right right in the middle of Dixon, basically. So why should we do this? Why should we live this going life? So, we're going to call a missional life a going life because of the Great Commission that we are to go and make disciples. So, why should we live this life of going on mission, living missionally where we are at? Why should we do that? Well, if we come back to our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we find that with Paul, if you look back at that passage, and you ask the question that I just asked of us, why should we live a going life? But you ask, why did Paul do the ministry that he did? In verse 14, we find that it was the love of Christ that compelled him or controlled him. Now, the Greek word here that is used, that is translated there as uh, controller, or excuse me, as, uh, let me start over. The Greek word there that's used for love could refer to the, either the love Christ has for people or the love that they have for him. Now, when you have two options like that in, in translation, you want to look at the context and everything else around it and pick the best option. Uh, so, if you're looking at what does that mean, so the, the actually the first option, the love Christ has for people, is our preferred understanding of that. It was Christ's love for Paul and mankind that drove Paul to spread the gospel. God is sovereign, and and Paul would not have wanted to exalt himself or his own strength in loving God, but instead give God the glory as he was compelled to mission because of Christ's love for him. In other words, because Christ has loved us and given himself for us as a sacrifice, therefore we are compelled to mission. Because Jesus had demonstrated the sacrificial love of God by dying in the place of sinners on the cross. Because of that, Paul had perspective on the hardships he faced. And if you know anything about Paul, he faced a ton of hardship out there on the road doing ministry. And he had perspective on those hardships. It actually motivated him to proclaim the gospel to the nations because he knew that Christ loved him and had suffered for him on his behalf. And it gave him that perspective so he could stand up under that persecution, under those hardships, and take the gospel forward. The word that gets translated control or compel can mean this. Now, I've got a bunch of definitions here. I'm going to read them all, all right, for you. So just hold on tight. But the word that's translated either control or compel, it depends on what translation you actually have in front of you, can mean this. It can mean to hold together as a unit, to sustain to stop or to shut, to press hard or crowd, to press in around, to hold in custody, to guard, to cause distress by force of circumstances, to occupy someone's attention intensely, to provide impulse for some activity, or to hold inbounds so as to manage or guide, direct, and control. Now, I don't tell you that to simply read a Greek dictionary to you. I want us to understand what, what the word is saying in the context of the passage that The love of Christ is what directed him, controlled him, held it together, shut out the world that that focused him and pushed him and compelled him on his mission, and it should be so for us as well. Now, if we continue on into verse 15, we see that Christ died for all people without distinction. That means no distinction as man or woman, you know, gender distinction, social standing, profession, ethnicity, any of that, that that Jesus died for all. Now, before we get crazy with it, let's understand something. Not everyone receives the benefits of Christ's sacrifice. It's only for those who believe the gospel and live for Christ, who've repented of their sins and believe the good news because Jesus died, the power of sin over his followers has been broken. That means that by him and through him, we can live for the purposes of God. That the gospel be spread and disciples be made. And if you've never heard this or you've never understood it, and now you understand that Jesus died in your place for your sin and you want to repent of your sin and trust him, then I want to talk to you after the service. I want you to come and see me so we can can talk about that and I can share how you can have forgiveness of sin and hope and life. See, I believe that if we're compelled by Christ's love, we also will love people. If we're compelled and controlled by Christ's love and, and his love for us is what causes us to act, all right, it's the the gunpowder that shoots us out, right? Then we also will love people because Jesus loved people. We have to love people. We must love the lost. And folks, it's hard. We look at some and we're like, man, but they're they're dirty. Their lives aren't right. They have issues. They're lost. They seem more lost, some of them, than others. And so were you. And so was I. Our lives aren't perfect, we have issues, we've all sinned, but God, in his divine plan, put someone in our path that told us about Jesus. Someone shared how we could find forgiveness and peace with God. And we need to want that for others. Ed Stetzer, who for a time served at Wheaton College uh, until recently, he said, you can't scream at the world and reach the world at the same time. Showing Christ's love for the good of our neighbors, even when it's uncomfortable and sacrificial, that's what it means to have faith over fear. So we should be, number one, why should we live a missional life? Because we're compelled by the love of God, by the love of Christ, to live a going life. Number two reason why we should live a going life. It's just what a Christian does. I know that doesn't sound real academic and scholarly, okay? But it's just what a Christian does. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are sent out as agents of reconciliation. Somebody, I I was talking to a friend about this message. Sometimes I I run different parts of the sermon by friends, and I said agents of reconciliation, and they said it sounded like a really uh, sort of a politically correct Disney show agents of reconciliation it's kind of funny um an ambassador though is a representative from another kingdom living in a foreign land and representing the king and the kingdom to those who are not yet part of the kingdom and we are agents of reconciliation Biblically speaking, our, our ministry is not providing backpacks or parties or giving food or many of those other good things. Now, please hear me when I say this. Those things should be happening. We should be doing those things. But they should be happening so as to help us in the ministry of reconciliation. We don't just want to feed people so that they go to hell with a full belly. We want to feed people in the name of Jesus and give them the gospel so that they can taste the true bread of life. So we need to be doing those things in the community, absolutely, but we need to be doing them uh, within our mission of seeing people reconciled to God through Jesus Christ because the true means of reconciliation with God, okay, the thing we're, we're supposed to be ambassadors of, the thing we are supposed to be ministers of, the means of reconciliation is Christ's death and resurrection, Christ's death on the cross ended the hostility between God and people. And it was only by his suffering that peace between God and humanity is possible. It is the only way. There's no plan B. It's not like we can give them something else that will rescue them. That's it. That's our message. That's why we exist. That's why we gather. The world, the word world in in verse 19. Take a look at verse 19. Uh, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The word world, it's used in verse 19, is actually the word cosmos. Now, this refers to people who are estranged from God and under the influence of sin and the devil. So, we're to reach out to those who are still estranged from god they're far from god they're anyway the bible would say enemies of god We're to reach out to them they're under the influence of sin and the devil and we know where that leads for eternity it's as if uh, everyone we know who doesn't know jesus is on a bus and they're careening towards the edge of the grand canyon and we have the opportunity to step out in front of the bus and say stop there's a hole in the ground you're all gonna die And that's what we're supposed to be doing with our lives every day in various ways, in various places, in various contexts that we live in. So here's the thing. We must be intentional about this ministry. We have to have a plan for our missional lives. Is your life set up with the thought of how you can best be living on mission in your community? Do you make decisions about where you live and where you work and and things like that? In order to be a better missionary in your community. There's a missiologist named Wilbert Schenk, who has a funny name, but he points out the Great Commission institutionalizes mission as the controlling norm of the church. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is a member of and a member of his body is to live a missionary experience in the world. There's no doubt that this was how the earliest Christians understood their calling. So many times You look at things in the Bible, how we are commanded to live our lives, then we look at how much of modern American Christianity is played out. And I'm just like, a lot of what we do would be a foreign concept to the early church. Or a lot of what we don't do would be a foreign concept to the early church. So we should be doing it because it's what a Christian does. We are agents of reconciliation. Third, because of joy. We should be living a going life, a missional lifestyle, because of joy. Logan Gentry writes, joy results in mission. Mission is a result of joy. If mission is lacking, it's because joy and delight in God are lacking. Now, if you think about that for a moment, that'll probably sting a little. If we look and see that our mission in our life is lacking... We can generally trace that back and find that our joy and our delight in God are lacking. So the obvious question here that we've got to ask ourselves is, are you truly delighting in God? Is Jesus really where you get your joy? When that is set right, our mission will start to be worked out on the other end. We have to fix the kink in the hose at this end before we get the output at the other end. So because of joy. And number four, the reason we should be living a going lifestyle, a missional lifestyle, is to be obedient. To be obedient. John 20, 21 says this. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus has sent us, and so we go. Acts 1, eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I've heard it said many times by pastors, our local community, community you know, that's our, that's our Jerusalem. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which is the Great Commission, I alluded to it earlier. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How are you going to live that out? Well, let's ask that question together. How do we live a going life? How do we live a going life? Scholar points to two key ways to help be intentional in our living of a missional lifestyle identity and urgency. First is identity. We have to be comfortable and understand and know our identity. Our identity is found in Jesus, not in our job. Our identity is found in Jesus, not in our a husband or a wife. Our identity is found in Jesus, not the fact that I'm a pastor. The, our identity must be found in Christ. We must understand what our identity is as a blood-bought, twice-born, child of the king, a missionary, an ambassador of the gospel, an ambassador of reconciliation, as if God making his appeal to people through us. That's what the scripture says. The word of God, the inerrant word of God. Like, you don't have to pray about whether or not God is making an appeal to people through you. This says God is making an appeal to people through you. It's the word of God. It's perfect. It's infallible. It's inerrant. And it tells us that God wants us to make, he's making his appeal through us. So identity, we've got to know our identity. Second, urgency. We've got to live like we don't know when the end of our lives or their lives will come. We got to live like we don't know when Jesus will return and the whole thing will be over. We've got to live with an urgency because there's judgment waiting. We have to live with urgency like we don't know because we don't know. I could walk out of here and fall in a manhole. I don't know why I said that. It's because we, because every pastor ever always says, I could walk out of here and get hit by a bus or get hit by a truck. Right? Um, it's more likely that I walk out of here and get hit by a crossover SUV from this parking lot back here. That actually almost happened one day while I was here by myself. Anyway, it's a whole other thing. Don't look at your phone when you walk out the church door. But we don't know when it's going to be over. There's a bunch of Christians in Afghanistan right now, huddled in houses, hiding in caves and mountains, wherever, because there's people who decided they don't need to be around anymore. We don't know when it's going to be up, when the number's going to be up. Now, we don't have people going door-to-door hunting us with AK-47s. Thank you, Jesus. But we just don't know. And that's not to make you feel, like, guilty or emotionally scare you or anything. It's just a fact. Like, it's just a fact. Right? I've had, I've had friends who've died in the last two years from, from COVID and stuff, guys who... It's like, oh, I never imagined that that guy, that pastor, would not be here in two, three years. You know what I mean? It's just a little bit of a wake-up call. See, evangelism is basically done by you in your own personal relationships. Most people, I must say, most people don't come to know Jesus on a Sunday morning during a service. Generally, it's through personal relationship and conversation with someone walking them through the gospel it happens over a coffee table at your house or or sometimes in the pastor's office so here's the question if that's all true how does the church get involved we're doing this whole series about the church about uh replant so what does this look like within the life of our local church well, I have some, some ways that it can apply to the church as a whole. Number one is you can bring your non-Christian friends and family and know for sure that they will hear the gospel and they will see a visual representation of it. We sing it, we preach it, we pray it, we show it in our observing of the ordinances. When I preached on worship, uh, gather, uh, gather for worship a few weeks ago, we talked about this, that when they see someone be baptized, when they see us take the Lord's Supper, they see a visual representation of the message of the gospel. Just our love for one another and having nothing in common but Jesus for most of us is a testimony of the power and love and life-changing gospel, work of the gospel. My Number two, my job as a pastor is to equip you for ministry. Talked about that last week. This means that our church wants to, I want to, help you be faithful in sharing the gospel with other people during other hours of the week and not just when you're in this building. We have ways of training and equipping you to do this. We will continue to develop those as well. Daniel M. said, to live and act like missionaries, you need the one thing that matters, the scriptures. Be familiar with your sword so you can wield it against the enemy. So we have events and ministries that help you Uh, help train and equip you for ministry outside the walls of this building we have events and ministries that help to introduce your uh, excuse me that help you introduce your people your friends different people to the gospel and to members of our church at the same time these ministries are firstly your responsibility The command for personal evangelism and for loving your neighbor are given primarily to individual Christians and not to the church corporately. In other words, just because you gave money to a particular ministry doesn't mean you've done your responsibility to share your faith with those around you and you can call it good for the day and retire. We must be in prayer. As a church, we can be praying, we can be reading about evangelism and equipping one another for that. Uh, Number three, so if that's, how we're going to do it the question is where are we going to live going i know that's a weird sentence okay but i had to keep with my theme all right where are we going to live going a missional church a going church understands that it's been sent by god as missionaries in their own community and culture they've been spent sent we have been sent specifically to make disciples of all people right here in dixon or wherever they're planted right here first locally, then globally, right? First locally, then globally. That's always been the plan. So to wrap it up, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? What I want to do is I'm going to count through um, four or so ways that are going to be really practical, practical ways that you can apply it straight to your life, in living a missional life, okay? Number one, build solid relationships for gospel conversations. Okay, that's a little bit nebulous, Pastor. Build solid relationships, got it. Some of us are not very good at building solid relationships. So, Pastor, how do I build solid relationships that can lead to gospel conversations? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have a few suggestions that may Get your brain moving and help you in your brain and your heart and help you think of other ways you can be doing this as well. Number one. I'm not going to number these. Eat with non-Christians. Eat food with people who don't know Jesus. You likely already do that during the week in the break room at work. Eat. Spend time talking. Listen to them. Throw parties. Have a block party, have a dinner party. Invite people who don't know Jesus. Make yourself available if people have questions, if conversations get steered towards eternal things. Community playgrounds, pools, dog parks, etc. Be regulars at these places. Meet with other regulars. Pick a coffee shop and go there every time you want to have coffee. Pastor, that's going to cost me money. I know. I know. Join community, or join community clubs or neighborhood com, uh, committees. Okay? Um, I don't know what kind of neighborhoods you all live in, um, but some neighborhoods have, you know, homeowners associations or neighborhood watch or whatever else. Join neighborhood committees. Join community clubs. Lions Club, Kiwanis Club. Underwater basket weaving club, whatever, just uh, something that doesn't support non-Christian things. Okay, um, uh, that doesn't support you know causes that would be in conflict with the Bible. But to be a part of those, take your kids to play groups with other mothers who are not believers. Be regular uh, at those. Meet with the other regulars. Be outside. Volunteer with nonprofits. Come to a blood drive. Participate in city events. Start a hobby with somebody else. If you like to run or play golf, use that as an opportunity to run or play golf with other people who may not know Jesus, not so you can get drug into their stuff, but so that you can hopefully have stronger relationships that will lead to gospel conversations. If you have a strong faith and the people around you know that you have a strong faith by the way you carry yourself, I'm gonna tell you, when they have... a. A, an issue a problem and you reach out to minister to them it opens doors so build solid relationships number two I am going to number this part number two is pray for the lost with the church gather with the church and pray for the lost in your community that they would come to know Jesus number three is pray for the lost in your personal devotions let me ask you a question. This is, there's, there's this whole campaign thing that, that's, that churches do called who's your one. My question is just that, who's your one? Who's the one person that you can think of right now that you know, they don't know Jesus and you will commit and say, I'm gonna pray for that person every day for a month. I'm gonna pray for that person every day, once a day, at least once a day or more than once a day for 30 days and then I'm gonna try to have a gospel conversation with that person. Who will you do that with? Who will you invite to church? That you could go out with afterwards and talk about the service. So you can build strong relationships. You can pray for the lost with the church. You can pray for the lost with your devotions. Number 4, be patient. God works on his schedule and in his time. He is sufficient. He is sovereign. His word is powerful and excuse me, sufficient. So the question is, do you trust him with your grace-drenched effort, with your spending time with people, do you trust him to work in his time, in his way? you trust him enough to order your life in a way that brings him glory by spreading the good news of the gospel of reconciliation? Maybe you've not trusted Jesus. But Jesus, maybe you've not trusted him to order your life. At all, but maybe specifically, you've not trusted him to order your life in a missional way, and you've been trying to just kind of order it your own way. You're not alone. There's others. Jesus offers forgiveness and a fresh start. Will you trust that he even died for your sin of lack of evangelism as well as all your other sin? Repent and change your way of living. A few points I want us to ponder as we, as we go out. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back up and get ready to lead us in our, our final song. But as we begin to head out, as we sing a final song, I have a few points I want you to ponder, and, and, and even this afternoon. So you might want to write these down. I want you to think about these things. Pray over these things. Let the Lord roll them around in your heart. Number one, what is compelling you? Hey. What is controlling you? Well, I'm I'm a free, a free American. Nobody controls me. What is compelling you to action or to inaction? What is controlling you? Number two, are you being led by the love of Jesus or are you being led by fear? Are you being led by the love of Jesus or are you being led by fear? Look, that sentence right there, I know we hear a lot about faith over fear lately. I don't mean anything about COVID with this. All right, I'm not talking about COVID. All right, if that's what the Lord's doing in your heart, that's between you and him. But but are you being led by the love of Jesus in your life in general or are you being led more by fear? Because it's kind of scary to get out and start having gospel conversations with people. And I'm not talking about cold calling people. I'm talking about developing deep relationships and speaking when you have an opportunity to share. Number three, God has spoken to this in his word. He has spoken. His, the things that I said come from his word. So the question is, will we believe him and take him at his word and obey what he said? Look, I know that just saying obey, obedience, that's not like the woo-woo, go-get-em sort of speech. But we are called. If we have trusted Jesus and he has paid for us, he has sacrificed for us, he has given his life for us and risen again and he's our king, then we are called. We do have a responsibility to obey what he has said in his word. And so the question is, not just with this, but with everything in the word, like, do you believe it and will you obey it? Number four, will you begin living missionally right where God has planted you? Will you begin living as a missionary, equipped by the church, sent out by God to wherever you go during the week? And number five, the good news tells us that we will fall short of this because we all have sin, but that Jesus is sufficient And he lived a perfect life on our behalf. So when you fall down on the job in your missional life, when you screw it up, when you sin, get back up and run to Jesus. Or crawl to Jesus if you can't get on your feet. That's what the world needs to see. They don't need to see a bunch of perfect people who just want to throw stones and yell at them. They need to see an imperfect people need a savior reaching out with the only hope that can truly save them let's pray jesus i thank you so much for this day thank you for the people who are gathered here i pray jesus that you would help us be known as a church of hope a church that the hope of the gospel is loud and clear on the tongues and the lives of those who attend here god i pray that you would grow the gospel in dixon You'd help us have gospel conversations. You'd help us have even hard conversations with one another and with uh, those who don't know you, Jesus. Help us to uh, sharpen each other as our iron sharpens iron. And God, at the end of the day, I pray that you would be glorified, that Jesus, you would be made more famous because of what happens here. And because of what you do in our lives and in our community throughout the week. We trust you, Jesus. We trust your word. We take you at your word. Even when it says things that are hard for us to hear, that we don't want to hear, that we, we buck up against it first, God, bring us to submission to your word and your plan and help us trust you even when stuff doesn't make sense to us, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray, amen. Would you stand and sing with us today?